Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. I'm Richard Delavan. I'm Claire Brady. This is Wicked Problems, a show about climate tech, the intersection of capital and technology, people and politics that will determine the future shape of the world and whether you'd want to live in it. Climate tech investing has a huge blind spot, and that is climate adaptation. We don't stop climate change tomorrow, so we have to deal with the consequences. And there are plenty of companies out there with business models that are already working, and they are investable. So whatever we are doing right now is basically buying time. Capital has been raised for those funds. And climate tech and CO2 reduction was the big overall theme. Climate adaptation was just not on the agenda. And I believe it's the next big thing. I believe it is the next big thing because it's inevitable. There's a taboo around climate adaptation. To some, even talking about planning for changes in water security, agriculture, what to do about coastal cities, how to build differently for infrastructure, for homes, for buildings is to take away the focus from efforts to agree to phase out fossil fuels to reduce emissions. Something that will come up at COP28 in a few days, but most observers think it will be shocking to see texts like that in any agreement that comes out of Dubai. Instead, look out for some headlines about trebling renewables by 2030 and doubling the rate of improvements in energy efficiency. But lurking in dark corners and quiet conversations in Dubai will be the topic that will increasingly become hard to ignore adaptation. Earlier this year, to only a smattering of headlines, French Environment Minister Christophe Béchou said his government would begin planning in earnest for all the changes necessary for a scenario in which temperatures rise by 4 degrees C by 2100. Expect to hear a lot more about that, how cities like Paris will need to be reimagined for a 4 degree warmer world in the run-up to the Olympics next summer. Then, this week, Right-wing politician Geert Wilders had a shocking electoral win in the Netherlands. Wilders isn't a climate denier, like Argentina's new president-elect Javier Millet, but his party's manifesto on climate gained a lot of attention for the line, We have been made to fear climate change for decades. We must stop being afraid. 
The document went on to say, the climate is always changing. When conditions change, we adapt. We do this through sensible water management, by raising dikes when necessary, and by making room for the river. But we stop the hysterical reduction of CO2, with which, as a small country, we wrongly think we can save the climate. Few sensible people would want to publicly align themselves with a politician like Wilders or views like that on climate, which is why corporations and governments, when they have been planning for this warmer world, are generally doing so quietly. But they are doing it. The technologies necessary to protect people from those effects are also going to be opportunities for some companies to make profit. Insurance companies are beginning to pull back from writing policies from homes in increasingly wildfire-prone California. Facebook's parent company is funding the creation of a seawall to protect the company's campus and downtown Menlo Park from rising seas. And some companies are already using AI-driven weather modeling to predict shifts in demand for their products, like a building materials company whose models predicted an active hurricane season for Florida, prompting them to produce more roofing tiles. Hurricane Ian duly damaged thousands of roofs that summer, and the company saw an extra $15 million in sales, according to PwC. Ulrich Seitz started out working in climate tech 15 years ago, and most recently helped set up the corporate VC of German conglomerate Baiva, where he still advises. But lately, he spends more and more time highlighting the need to shift investment flows beyond technologies that are about climate mitigation, aging power generation, transport, buildings, and industry to lower emissions, and towards those that are designed to help humans adapt to the consequences of a warmer world that we can no longer escape. Ulrich spoke to us from Munich, where Claire and I caught up with him. We are so delighted that we could be joined by Ulrich Seitz, an investor, serial entrepreneur, and great guy who's come onto the program to be able to talk with us about adaptation. Ulrich, how are you? Thank you. What a nice intro. I'm very well. Thanks. We've both been looking at how the landscape seems to be shifting and more attention seems to be going to adaptation while we're talking about other kind of climate solutions. Can you maybe start us out by giving us a little bit of, of an idea of the distinction between adaptation and mitigation? Yes, sure. On the mitigation side, those are all activities which are basically there to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And on the adaptation side, we are dealing with the negative consequences of global warming. So the mitigation side is there to prevent global warming, to stop climate change. And the adaptation side is there to deal with the consequences of it. Just to make it a little more understandable for the listener, what are some examples of adaptation technologies and ones that might even be familiar because we're using them already, ones we might have to scale up? I mean, you just have to think about the huge problems that come with global warming. For example, food security is a, is a huge issue yeah? where we have um, desertation um, and depletion of soil. We are faced with massive problems to produce enough food for all people on our planet. Mm -hmm. And this is a massively increasing problem with global warming. But that is just one thing. Water in general is a massive problem. Cities are getting too hot. Streets mm. are getting too hot. So reflective coatings are one technology-based solution for that, or at least they want to tackle these problems. And there are many other areas. Right. You can think about desalination. You can think about the reuse of water. Also, forest conversion is a big topic. Forest conversion. Not the same trees grow in, in the Northern Europe hemisphere, or they don't grow in the same mm -hmm. way, same speed as they did 50 years before. So different species. Different species, correct. And I suppose it's really been happening a long time. Half of the Netherlands didn't exist 
until someone decided to reclaim from the North Sea and make the land that makes up a, a good chunk of the land mass of the Netherlands at the moment. So we've been actually doing adaptation for some time. You think of the, the barrier in the Thames in London, helping to control the flooding upstream in the Thames or indeed in Venice, which has been trying to do that. So I suppose that some of these technologies have been around. We're just going to be scaling some of them up to much greater extent. Uh, to a much greater extent. I believe the problems which we have to deal with, they're just completely unseen. Just think about the wildfires and the floods, about all the horrible pictures we have seen over the year in the media. I think there was not a year before 2023 when there were so many reports of natural disasters than this year. And I believe that's a sign. It's a sign of a shift of attention. There is a shift of attention from mitigation to adaptation. I think only a few people in the industry still strongly believe that we stop climate change tomorrow. My conviction is we can't do that because it's already here. So whatever we are doing right now is basically buying time. This is essential because we need that time. We need that time to adapt. But if we don't adapt, then also most of the investments which are now happening on the mitigation side are basically useless at the end because the suffering and negative consequences of global warming, they are just postponed. And we're already seeing reports that are, as the insurance industry and others are, are starting to tally in the US, the figure came out this week that $150 billion a year is currently the kind of damage estimate from climate-related extreme weather events and natural disasters. That's a billion dollars every three weeks just in the United States. So you can imagine that this is something that different sectors are paying more attention to. But tell us, how has this come under your radar? Take us back and how you came to be thinking about this more and more. Yeah, I was flying over south of Italy, was thinking about my negative CO2 impact and looked down and saw that basically south of Italy looked like a desert. It was in the middle of the summer, and I also noticed all around there is, is water. I mean, there's seawater. Desalination is a technique which we are using since many years. It's known for many years. And still, I was thinking why it is just not happening that we bring the water into the, in those very dry areas, prevent the soil from being taken away with the wind. And um, yeah, I was, I was just thinking about why is that not happening? So that was basically the start. I'm working in sustainability and clean tech since more than 15 years now in, in different roles as an entrepreneur, as a venture capital investor in the last six, seven years, and as an advisor at the moment. And I saw a lot of companies in different stages, around 4,000 climate tech companies in Europe and Israel we have looked at. And they're amazing companies, scalable technologies with a massive impact. And it's great that we... At the moment, we have a great investor's landscape in the climate tech sector, but climate tech investing has a huge blind spot, and that is climate adaptation. And I want to bring climate adaptation to the awareness of those investors to acknowledge that first, we don't stop climate change tomorrow, so we have to deal with the consequences. And there are plenty of companies out there with business models that are already working and they are investable. And every week on uh, my new LinkedIn channel, I bring one company from a different vertical up and show what's their benefit to climate adaptation. 
and some of them already have found investors. But the big climate tech investment companies, they are basically not looking into climate adaptation. And I think that's an unused opportunity. And why is that? It is, a, it is just how funds are created. What is the theme which has been sold to the LPs? How capital has been raised for those funds? And climate tech and CO2 reduction was the big overall theme. Climate adaptation was just not mm -hmm. on the agenda. And I believe it's the next big thing. I believe it is the next big thing because it's inevitable. Let's be honest, we need to do it. But the investment isn't quite happening yet. Are there some areas that investors understand and are starting to dip their toe in the water that are a little bit further ahead in getting that investment? Yes, they are. It's ag tech. So agricultural focused startups who increase the yield in certain areas, they certainly also play a role in climate adaptation because food security is a big topic. There are already investment activity is happening. But of course, it is not enough and the topic is much wider than ag tech. Food security has always been an issue. So where, is the lens that the investors are looking at still more food security rather than fully coming at it from that climate adaption lens, which, as you say, is going to be such an important lens for investors to understand, A, why it's so important and B, where they should be investing? Look, I'm a, I'm a venture capital guy and for us, Business models need to be scalable. And for us, the profit, potential profit at the end needs to be enormous. And there is a simple reason for that. The reason is because so many companies fail. They fail to deliver financial returns at the end. What climate tech investors and also ag tech investors, they, they are looking heavily into partly, at least partly digitized business models. What is a topic at the moment are solutions which are based by are based on the data you can get from satellites, analyze how crops are developing, for example, in the ag tech space, but we have the same in, in for insurance companies to detect and potentially prevent us from wildfires. Also from floods, natural disaster management is a huge topic in climate adaptation. Typically, venture, you're thinking in terms of a 10x return, ultimately, right? Yeah. Mark uh, Little, who's an old colleague of mine who I was speaking to, he's exited two startups, venture-backed, that in his last adventure, his investors were not happy because it was only a 5x return, only 5x. But, and I suppose, is the issue that the rate of return for a lot of these projects isn't venture-backable in the sense that if you're if a seawall, what kind of revenue does that generate? If you have a, a different crop, what kind of, what's the, the rate of return that you're going to be able to get out of that? So you have all these really great positive externalities. So it's the inverse of the, the climate change problem itself, where you've got a lot of negative externalities. You've got a lot of positive externalities for most adaptation tech. But the barriers for investment so far seem to have been around this bankability question. So what do you think might change that equation? Mm, that's, a, that's a very important question. It depends. Look, there. Uh, this is such a huge space and such a massive problem that all kinds of investors will find their opportunities there. Venture capital is just one area. There are also private equity investors, infrastructure investors, uh, and for them, uh, a dam could be an interesting project. Of course, this is the same with the climate taxing. It's linked to national regulatory regu law, and if there are 
uh, grants and, and subsidies for such projects. And, and here we are at the beginning with climate adaptation. Is an analogy to a defense procurement in the sense that the public purse has to wind up financing a lot of these projects. You look at flood mitigation measures in any town in the UK or in Germany or, yes. or anywhere else in Northwestern Europe, and whether they're barriers that are just going to pop up when water levels go above a certain level. And, and those things are all publicly funded and in fact, get tied in with house prices, with the insurance industry, you know, that all these things come together, but ultimately it's the public money that kind of primes that project in the first place. Is it likely that broadly speaking, that's where we need to see more kind of initial investment and then it's technologies that are going to be able to augment or make more efficient some of these things that where the poor private capital might be able to get the kind of return it needs? We definitely need that as well. If it's necessary to find suitable investment targets and great companies to invest with venture capital, I doubt. I think this is a standalone field. Um, but those two areas will certainly benefit each other. One of the areas that does seem to be where there has been a, a lot of interest over the last 12 months has been in so-called fire tech, right? It's a combination of Internet of Things sensors in better forecasting data that would allow you to better understand where to deploy firefighting resources during a wildfire. Wildfires now being the, if they were a country, the fourth largest emitter on the planet this year. So is that an area that you've looked at? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And there are a couple of digital solutions. A lot of them are based on satellite pictures, but also on sensors, IoT devices. And there's a lot going on in that space. Earlier this month, the United Nations Environment Program released its annual adaptation gap report and suggested that the numbers in terms of the climate finance required to actually go towards adaptation measures mm. winds up being at $366 billion a year, more than currently yeah, the, than what we're currently doing. I saw somewhere else that's only 7% of money going in invested, investment going into the climate space is going into adaptation. Do you think that given we're now better understanding the scale of the problem, that there's a change in emphasis that we're likely to see where there will be more eyeballs, more attention, more seeking out of opportunities in the space. Yes, I'm 100% sure about that. So since I have launched my climate adaptation project like a month ago or so, I'm having calls every day with investors around the world who are very much interested in the topic. They want to understand how much deal flow is there, which vertical, which kind of technologies and at what stage those companies are. There is a shift of mindset. Still, there are not enough investments out there, but it's a bit of a chicken and egg problem. It's the entrepreneurs who want to be active in that field, they also need to see that there is some investment activity going on. Otherwise, it's very hard just to start their business. Is there another factor that perhaps people are reluctant to talk about? I've been hearing about things like we're going to get more drought-resistant trees to be planted in cities in North America, going back to the 90s, expecting some of these changes to happen. But we don't talk about adaptation. I, I wonder if you agree with this, in part because there's a feeling that the more we're talking about adaptation, it's taking up more of attention that could otherwise go towards prevention, towards mitigation. So is, do you think that's something about why we're reluctant to face this square on? Yes, that's the main reason. And I think it is understandable. It is the case yeah. when we, it's difficult to fake, focus on both sides, but it's absolute necessity. There is no way around it. We need to move on with the mitigation side 
to buy time to be able to adapt. So we, we need to do both at the same time. And the biggest problem I see climate adaptation at the moment is just not a big topic. There are sub areas which have some focus, like for example, AgTech. But mm. overall, climate adaptation is not a thing. And this will change. Is it fair to say there's a taboo for talking about it in ways that perhaps might be changing? I think there was a taboo. From the communications and uh, chats I had the last weeks, I see that people are talking openly about that. There still is not the ecosystem there, but it's not a taboo anymore. Two years ago, it was almost like accusing the whole renewable energy industry of failing, basically of not being able to stop climate change. But now I think also public opinion has shifted and people see, okay, climate change is now, it is real, that the naysayers are basically gone. And that leads to the next step, acceptance, and that leads to the next step, action. Right, right. Yeah, I was just going to come in on that point. And I think actually what we've sadly seen with extreme weather events and over the last few years is possibly part of that reason why it's now harder to ignore the reality that we need to actually address adaptation exactly. at the same time as mitigation. Exactly my point, yeah. People have been turning their attention more and more, perhaps there's this fear of having that conversation in public. I'm just looking right now at, at the a report from the Climate Change Committee here in the UK about barriers to financing adaptation technologies and looking at the kind of cost-benefit ratios from everything from water efficiency to heat alert and heat wave planning to weather and climate services, including early warning, capacity building, upland, peatland, reforestation, flood preparedness and protection, making new infrastructure resilient, climate smart agriculture, adaptive fisheries management, urban grains, green space, green, urban green space, that would be a word, that'd be a good word, and flood resilience and resistance measures. So that's a broad set of categories. Yes. Are there areas, in back to your background, that, that you're paying some particular attention to? I believe water is an absolutely critical point or topic. It's not just about desalination and how to transport water. It's also about how to suck water out of the air. There are some interesting companies doing that. Also, the reuse of water is interesting. Filtration technologies, membranes, and also mm. then the, the transport of water. Yeah? Um, I think that's absolutely critical. Yeah. And soil. So I would definitely see water and soil as the most interesting fields at the moment from the point of where you see or can have the biggest impact. But that is not necessarily right. the point of view you need to have when you want to start investing. You also need to think about your LPs. Where are they coming from? From which industries? Mm -hmm. Where do they have their interest? Tell me more about that. Investors are coming to you, just looking initially to some chats about the space. Is there any pattern to where you're seeing some interest in terms of where LPs in backing future investment in adaptation might be more likely to come from? Yes, in insurance companies are very interested. Yes, because they have really problems to assess the risks linked to natural disasters, floods, fires, so on. Right. What is the right insurance policy for houses in a coastal area and where there are where is a lot of forest around that's very difficult. Obviously there's been huge headlines in the United States where State Farm, one of the largest insurers, has just left California. They're no longer writing policies. Others have scaled back their willingness to protect 
properties. And again, the U.S. housing market is a $43 trillion set of assets, where in Florida and Texas and other places that are likely to be subject to more hurricanes and storms in the future. The insurance sector does seem to be finally reacting to this. But I guess, how do you see that unfolding? Where are they going to see opportunities to get their own calculations more accurate when it comes to assessing future risk? Is it things like more granular flood prediction data or the more likelihood of, of wildfires affecting a particular community in the hills of California? What, what are some other examples of the types of things that you think the insurance industry might be interested in helping see develop? It's around prediction and detection. Both is, is a huge market and, and also a huge risk for insurance companies to understand that. Yeah? If you can detect wildfires very early um, and which of the wildfires then potentially are endangering houses where they have certain exposure or areas, then they give, can give recommendations to the people live there, to, this, to the cities, how to deal with it. Potentially in the next two weeks, there is a certain likelihood that you will have a wildfire in that area, something like that. And that's very valuable. They may try to establish their own algorithms, but it's a question of, do you want to do that in-house or do you rely on external innovation and startup companies and investments? And most likely they do both because it's smart to, to do both and to do it in-house and have a really cutting edge against their competitors and look around externally, mm -hmm. find new solutions, learn more, invest, and at the end also have a financial benefit of that. You mentioned water as being an area of particular acute concern. And last month, Poor New Orleans. New Orleans just always seems to get it these days. If it's not New York getting a disaster in the film, New Orleans seems to be getting it in real life a lot more frequently. And so last month you saw a story that really gripped the imagination in the States where the levels of flow on the Mississippi River and the Red River in Louisiana were so low due to droughts, the severity of which almost certainly had been impacted by climate change, was actually seeing saltwater intrusion from the Gulf of Mexico creep up towards the drinking water supplies for the entire city of New Orleans to the point where the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers was having to be deployed urgently to try and employ some desalination plants mm. in places that would be refining, cleaning some of this water before we go into pipes. But you also saw a feverish you know, scramble for finding home desalination, right? So that assuming it'd be brackish rather than full-on saltwater, seawater coming into your house through a pipe, um, of people essentially getting a Brita filter that you'd stick on the end of your tap that would actually take out the salt. So a home desalination kit. And I imagine there are probably some companies who, or even some investors who are looking at that going, yeah, you know what? I think we're probably gonna have a lot of that. And here in the UK, in East Anglia, where saltwater intrusion is becoming a thing and heading towards groundwater supplies that are the places where a lot of homes in that part of the UK are gonna actually get water from. So... I imagine that's it. that's an area that almost certainly, unfortunately, it takes it happening in Western cities, Western countries to see to perhaps for investors to stand up and take notice. But do you anticipate that these are the kinds of events that make it real for people that get this kind of media attention, that raise awareness, that seeing that these kind of solutions are not just for people in other parts of the world, they're actually for parts of the world that actually have the kind of cash for investment to fund solutions that are going to be able needed for both here and for other places. Absolutely. Yes, that will raise awareness massively. Are there other events that, you can, that you've seen that you think, perhaps in your conversations that you've had over the last month as you've set up the Climate Adaptation Project, 
where other people might have cited examples. Maybe it's just this crazy year of temperatures and extreme weather in 2023. Are there other specific stories that you've heard that make you think that people are paying more attention to this? For me, the most, most horrible things are droughts and the long-term consequences of it. So when um, soil is depleted and it's too dry for a very long time, it's extremely difficult to, to use that land for agriculture. It's basically lost for a long time. It depends, of course, on the length of the drought and how dry and hard the ground is getting. And that's for me the, it's so obvious that this is happening right now and that it is happening every year. Everybody mm. can see that. Everybody who is interested in the topic can easily get a picture of what is happening. And that is not in some far away countries, maybe in Africa, where we are used to such pictures. No, it is south of Europe. And even in Germany, we have problems with sinking groundwater. You mentioned that your goal with the Climate Adaptation Project is to raise awareness. But where could it go from there? How, once you've raised awareness amongst a certain part of the community, where do you hope to, where do you hope it will lead? Yeah, I want to get a picture where the ecosystem is standing and what is needed at the moment. If most companies are super early stage, then maybe accelerator structures are the best thing to do at the moment. But if, they, if it is more advanced and the number of companies, which I believe is much higher in that space than most people think today, then to raise a fund is definitely an option as well. Awesome. I look forward to hearing more about that. Maybe you'll come back and talk to us about that. Will the funding for climate adaption need to take a different structure than we've perhaps seen in climate tech, where perhaps there is that opportunity for that sort of 10 times valuation and exit strategy? Whereas I think in some of the cases, the sorts of solutions we might need to see are more sort of structural or infrastructure. And, and, and it's, I guess, I, it's a, you know, I'm looking at it and thinking, well, what's you know, how do you make that financially viable? How do you get, for example, it would need, almost need like sector-wide investment where you have regions that are reliant on being able to use that land in a productive way. It's no single individual company. So I think it's that for me, it's like, how do you actually go? We can, I can see the absolute need for this. I'm struggling to see how you then go from seeing the problem and a potential solution to actually then getting the investment so I suppose maybe that's the why you exist and perhaps it's part of what you're trying to solve but I just perhaps some thoughts on your sort of initial thinking around that as I said earlier all different types of investors will find their niche in that topic there are infrastructure plays which might be heavily dependent on subsidies at the beginning maybe we need different price mechanisms like we are having it now partly with the CO2 price. Maybe we need to think about a price for wasting water. And based on such things, new business models can emerge. But I also believe there is certainly already a market for venture capital investments. There are scalable models out there. I have seen many of those companies already. And yeah, it is a very complex topic and so many areas are affected. That's the best answer I can give right now. That's fair enough. I suppose then just to 
before we we wrap up, because I think you're you've given us a lot of your time, Ulrich, and I'm really grateful. We're really grateful. Is there, do you think, a chance that we're going to see a stampede? Is you do you imagine that there might be a moment where sentiment shifts rapidly? And the reason I ask this is because it occurs to me that one of the difficulties that in motivating people towards climate action over the last 30 years has been that a lot of the talk has been, a lot of the things have been around things we won't do, things we should stop doing. Whereas adaptation technologies, as we talked about at the beginning, have been around literally since long that there have been humans. It's, human, it's just something humans are actually quite good at, of moving to different environments, of finding ways to survive, of finding ways to thrive. And so I suppose insofar as it becomes a necessity, is there some moment where there's a tipping point and sentiment could shift in that direction? And if so, what do you think that would look like? I think emotionally, the biggest impact of humans is when they see other humans suffering. And here I think about natural disasters. We have seen a couple of them in Europe, but who tells us that not something which is two times, five times as severe and damaging is coming next year, next month, uh, in comparison to what we have seen in the last three, five years. I think such events can then really trigger the next level of awareness and action. And then it definitely becomes higher in the political agenda too. Okay. And then finally, we like to ask people who come onto the show about things they've read or seen or listened to that have inspired them or given them a different perspective on climate and climate tech. Anything you'd recommend to the listeners? I mean, it has not directly a link to climate tech or climate adaptation. But what I really like about founders and entrepreneurs when they are coming from a value perspective. So they do not first think about where to make money. They, they think about how to create value and monetize that value then. And I'm a fan of Arnold Schwarzenegger. I really like what he has achieved over the years in so many different areas. And I just read his newest book, Be Useful, and really like it. It's, it's, it's not people who are a bit into how to develop a vision and companies, and they won't learn so much new, but it's a fun book, and it summarizes a great approach to life, in my opinion. Excellent. The first company I founded, it was a semiconductor company based on a material to disinfect water and air via ultraviolet LEDs. I was 24 back then, and I was able to work with extremely smart people. And that was just a lot of fun. I, it was just very inspiring to, to be around such smart people, how their brains work, how they tackle problems. And that was very inspiring for me and certainly gave me more courage to pursue a more entrepreneurial-driven career. That's really great, Ulrich, and thank you for that. Where can people find you and more about the Climate Adaptation Project? On LinkedIn. Uh, they can visit my LinkedIn page and also there is a page for Climate Adaptation Project. And every week we push out two posts, some general information about climate adaptation and one specific solution for a specific problem to create awareness and to understand the market. Terrific. Ulrich, I think we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for your time and joining us. I have to thank you. Have a nice evening. Cheers, thank Ulrich. Thanks, Claire. Bye. Big thanks to Ulrich Seitz for joining us, and we look forward to hearing more about his climate adaptation project. And I'm particularly interested to find out about that fund he might be raising. 
so more details when we get that. But in the meantime, we'll include links to the things we spoke about with Ulrich in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Tell us what you think. Send us an email at info at wickedproblems.uk or leave us a comment at news.wickedproblems.uk where you can also subscribe to our newsletter. Where you can also get this and other episodes with my co-host Claire Brady delivered right to your inbox. You can also find us on all good podcast apps and we really can help other people find the show by leaving us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Claire and I will be back for another episode on Wednesday with our conversation with Clara Maizano, which was RMI, from the artist formerly known as Rocky Mountain Institute, for a great conversation around all pathways of carbon removal as we get ready to kick off COP28. See you then.